Hey, before we get into this week's episode of The Culture, just a quick reminder that if you want to stay up to date with the show, you can follow it in your favourite podcast app. Just search for The Culture. All right, let's get into it. Hey there, I'm Osman Faruqi and welcome to The Culture, a weekly show from Schwartz Media where we take a deep dive into the latest in the world of music, streaming, TV, film and everything in arts and entertainment. Now back when I was a teenager around 16 or 17, this song was my ringtone. It's Moon River, and you might recognise it because it famously features in the soundtrack of Breakfast at Tiffany's. But as much as I appreciate Audrey Hepburn, that's not actually the reason it was my ringtone. It's because that film, Breakfast at Tiffany's, was the favourite film of my favourite TV character at the time, Gossip Girl's Blair Waldorf. So yeah, you could say I was a little bit obsessed with this show, but it wasn't just me. The show was a cultural phenomenon. It spanned six seasons and it redefined what teen dramas look like. Now the show is back. It's been rebooted. There's a brand new cast and a brand new storyline. But as fun and impactful as the original Gossip Girl was, do we really need a new version in 2021? And maybe more importantly, is it actually any good? To help me answer these questions, today on the show is Tara Kenny, a culture writer based in New York City, of course, the home of Gossip Girl. Tara, thanks for joining me on The Culture. Hi, um, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Tara, you wrote a really smart review of the rebooted Gossip Girl for the Saturday paper. But before we get into the new one, let's talk about the original. For a generation of millennials, including me and I think you, at the time it was quite influential. Just how significant was it? So the the original Gossip Girl was actually based on um, a YA book series. So it was by a woman called Cecily von Ziggazar. I, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but it's a very Gossip Girl name, a very Serena Vanderwoodson sort of name. Um, so basically she grew up in the real life version of the Gossip Girl universe. So she's an American woman. Um, but she is from a German noble family and she attended a school in New York um, called Nightingale Bamford, which she has said um, was the inspiration for Constance Billard and St. Jude's, which are the fictional um, schools in, in Gossip Girl. So basically these books were New York Times bestsellers. They were super popular. Hey, people. Ever wondered what the lives of the chosen ones are really like? Well, I'm going to tell you because I'm one of them. You know, it's presented there that it is like showing this very sort of like sexy and salacious version of what it's like to be an uber rich teenager in Manhattan. We're smart. We've inherited classic good looks. We wear fantastic clothes and we know how to party. Our shit still stinks, but you can't smell it because the bathroom is sprayed hourly by the maid with a refreshing scent made exclusively for us by French perfumeries. It's a luxe life, but someone's got to live it. 
So when it became a show, it was kind of similar to shows like Beverly Hills, 90210, The OC and um, The British Skin, which Mm. also came out in 2007. So it did um, kind of push the envelope of like what it's acceptable to um, show teenagers doing on TV and especially because it was on broadcast television because it was um, pre-streaming services. Look, Blair, I'm really trying to make an effort here. I thought everything was good between us. It was before I found out you had sex with my boyfriend. How'd you find out? After the first season aired, there were all these complaints from parent advocacy groups and Christian groups in America um, that were sort of complaining about how it was inappropriate for um, teenagers to be watching it and the way that it portrayed teenagers was inappropriate. I just got scared that if we move too fast, things weren't going to work out, and I really don't want that to happen. Okay, because I've waited. I've waited a really long time for this. Me too. And I think this is actually like such a stroke of genius, but um, the Gossip Girl marketing people repurposed um, those complaints and used them as advertising. So they had like billboards of Blake Lively, who plays Serena Vanderwoodson, um, in her underwear on a billboard. And then like emblazoned across it is like a parent's worst nightmare mind-blowingly inappropriate very bad for you (laughs) but yeah I think it's also just like an incredibly fun and watchable show and I felt like you know as I re-watched it recently um you do really become just like so invested in invested in their world quickly and Mm. um, the main characters are like super compelling Blair think we can meet tonight I'd love to but I'm doing something with Nate tonight the palace Eight o'clock? Nate will wait. Spotted on the steps of the Met, an S and B power struggle. Could probably do a half hour. The show did sort of have this big crossover with fashion and celebrity culture. Apparently, by the end of it, fashion houses like Chanel were like sending them clothes because everyone wanted to dress Blair. And there are like a bunch of crazy cameos throughout the show. So people like Jared and Ivanka Kushner, um, which is an interesting choice now. Thank you, Jared, and thank you, Ivanka, for marrying Jared and giving someone else a chance to win Bachelor this year. <laughs> Lady Gaga, Hilary Duff, Alexa Chung, um, Liz Hurley. What are you doing in New York? At my house. Leaving, by the look of it. Whoa, were you trying to find me? Oh, this is fantastic. I haven't been able to stop thinking about you either. I can't believe you actually tracked me down. Oh, that is borderline adorable, but I wasn't here to see you. As of recently, I own the New York Spectator, and I wanted to interview your mother for my inaugural article on the disgraced wise of dirty businessmen. And one interesting thing that actually happened in the real world is, so in 2012, when it was towards the end of the show, um, to celebrate 100 episodes, Mike Bloomberg, who was then the mayor of New York, he went to the set of Gossip Girl and proclaimed that January 26th in New York was now Gossip Girl Day. <laughs> There's a very, like, hilarious cursed image that I found on the internet of him wearing this Gossip Girl T-shirt. Now, therefore, I, Michael R. Bloomberg, mayor of the city of New York, to hear what proclaim Thursday, January 26, 2012, in the city of New York as Gossip Girl Day. Congratulations. <laughs> And basically, he was just celebrating the fact that Gossip Girl had, like, boosted tourism to New York City and that he said the economic impact could be felt in, like, all across the five boroughs. And it was basically this soft power foreign policy tool 
which I find fascinating. Uh, but I am interested in finding out who the real gossip girl is. <laughs> Serena's cousin, maybe. I don't know. I mean, just, you know, inquiring minds want to know. And I just don't see how Blair could marry Prince Louis when she's uh, clearly in love with Chuck. I mean, this is so obvious. I don't, I, yeah, it certainly boosted sales of frozen yogurt near the steps of the Met. Um, I <laughs> have a lot of embarrassing um, photos on my Instagram of me recreating some of those. I'm definitely, like, talking way too much, <laughs> revealing way too much about my obsession with this show. But um, I love it. I love it. I want to talk a bit about the, the context uh, in which the show premiered back in 2007. In terms of uh, TV, it was executive produced by uh, Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage, who uh, were most well-known for doing The O.C. California, here we come, right back where we started from. In a lot of ways, Gossip Girl was similar to The O.C. It was a teen drama dealing with high school stress and relationships, but it really took the wealth thing to another level. The, the OC was obviously set in Orange County in California, the home of the 1%. But when we got to Gossip Girl and the Upper East Side of Manhattan, we're talking about like the 0.1%. So tell me how a show like that comes about and why we cared so much about it. Yeah, so I think uh, in pop culture at that time, so gossip blogs like TMZ and Perez Hilton, they were really big um, and they covered like, you know, different celebrity culture, but in particular, these young women, like this kind of it girl. So Misha Barton, um, who was Marissa in the OC and Lindsay Lohan and Paris Hilton, people like that. So they, um, yeah, kind of just like followed their escapades and I guess also really kind of like terrorised those girls in a way. But yeah, I, I think of that sort of ilk, Paris Hilton um, as a celebrity who was just like such a big phenomenon in 2007. I think she's quite um, an interesting entry point to sort of like examine where the culture was at at that point. Yeah, and it's interesting those parallels you draw between people like her and, and Lindsay Lohan and Nicole Richie. You know, even Gossip Girl even goes as far as to having like actual hotel heirs in the show, you know, the, the children of people who own hotel franchises, the children of people who are extremely famous musicians or actors. Uh, and it does seem, when you put it like that, to be you know, a pretty obvious attempt to lean into that kind of cultural moment where they were the figures that were dominating our magazines, mm-hmm. our gossip blogs, our, our, our news stories. Um, and I guess that sort of made sense back in 2007? I think it does reflect, like, economically, I do feel like, obviously, there was still a lot of inequality in 2007, but it wasn't so much part of, like, the zeitgeist. I don't feel like inequality was necessarily something that was like so much at the forefront of like cultural awareness hmm. yeah I feel like now there's just like such a big divide between like the one percent and the rest of the world and hmm. there's also just much more awareness of that and um much more anger directed towards the rich so yeah I think Gossip Girl then and versus now was going to have to be a bit different. Let's talk about why, because two very significant events occurred in 2007. The first is obviously the debut of the TV show, Gossip Girl, (laughs) and the second is the global financial crisis. Mm -hmm. Some would say the two pivotal events of 2007. And even though 
the start of the financial crisis was 2007. It took a few years for the full ramifications of that to be felt, I think, for us to really understand how much this was restructuring the economic order and how much worse inequality was going to get, particularly for younger people in America, I think. So we were able to sort of like still be, I think, voyeuristically into the idea of a show like Gossip Girl, even though the world was sort of collapsing around us, we were, we were kind of able to put that aside for a second. It didn't seem like things were going to get that bad and watch the, you know, 0.1% of Manhattan splash around their money and have a great time. But what is it like looking back on the show now? I was definitely initially watching all of it to the end, definitely in a more like aspirational way and being like, this is amazing. You know, I I would definitely like swap places with Blair and like be here. But yeah, I feel like watching it now and just general cultural attitude, I feel like now it's, um, yeah, there's a lot more like anger towards the, the uber wealthy. And I feel like it's more maybe considered embarrassing to have that much money in. You know, I think most people want to like feel like they'll have secure housing for the rest of their life and not necessarily be able to go into space. You know what I mean? After the break, we'll take a look at exactly what the new Gossip Girl is about. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, The Saturday Paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. So, Tara, when I first heard about the reboot of Gossip Girl, my initial reaction was kind of like deep scepticism, but even beyond that, just like bewilderment, because I think I was unwilling to accept that I was old enough now that a show that I watched as a teenager was being rebooted. I thought, this is we, re- mm-hmm. we reboot shows from like decades ago. Like, no, actually, Gossip Girl came out 14 years ago. Yeah. And, and so when I put that aside, I thought, okay, well... Yeah, like, I mean, even when I last rewatched Gossip Girl a few years ago, it didn't quite land for me in the same sort of flippant way. I just didn't care about these rich people. I was kind of more mad at them than I was then. Mm-hmm. How did you feel hearing the news that it was going to be rebooted? And what do you think was actually driving the desire to reboot it? I feel like executives maybe know that they do have a built-in audience, like people who grew up watching um, who probably will tune in. And then I also sort of feel like if they're, especially with Gossip Girl, since it's on HBO in, in the States, they knew that they would have like a much more money thrown at it, much bigger budgets, and that um, they'd be able to just like go really large with the production values and kind of just see how big they could go with the world um, versus yeah, the first, um, the original Gossip Girl didn't have that much money. So I feel like that was probably 
quite an enticing thing for the the people making it. Yeah, and in terms of some of the first teasers that we got when the creators started talking about it, they were really emphasising this idea that, like, we made a mistake last time. You know, it was too white, it was too privileged, there wasn't enough, like, representation of diversity, of cultural and racial diversity, of diverse sexualities, and we're going to change that. Tell me about what we started to hear from them. Yeah, well... I think one of the first things that came out, there were like um, teaser photos that came out when they were filming, which was like the new central clique who were like sitting on the Met steps. So obviously that was the hangout of Blair and Serena in the original. Half of the um, actors were people of colour and um, just like the whole aesthetic was much less Upper East Side. So there's like shaved heads in there. There's like somebody carrying a tote with like an activist slogan on it. Balenciaga sneakers, no headbands in sight. Yeah, I feel like it actually has a more of a like downtown New York um, sort of East Village fashion set sort of vibe compared to what the aesthetics of the original were. Mm. Also, so Josh Safran, so he's the, the creator of the new Gossip Girl, he was doing some interviews um, before it came out. And he also sort of emphasised that the new characters would be more aware of their privilege and... Um, they would try and glamorize wealth less in the show and that there there wouldn't be any slut shaming or cat fights, quote unquote. And I think um, yeah, I feel like people responded by being like question mark, question mark. Um, like the whole premise of the show was like teenagers being mean to each other and teenagers being um super disconnected and Obviously, I think it just inherently like did glamorize wealth on some level because hmm. it's like really beautiful people who are really rich. So, hmm. yeah, I feel like people were a bit like, what What else is there? Tara, let's take a minute to lay out the premise of the new series. It's set in the same universe as the original Gossip Girl. So I guess that makes it more of a sequel than a reboot in that sense. Our group of friends have known each other since we were babies. We have trust. In history, we own this school. It's set in the the same school, so it's a fictional school called Constance Billard and St Jude's. Um, so it's uh, this prep school on the Upper East Side, and so basically, it's like the next generation of kids at this school. So the the, the central conflict thus far, four episodes in is um, a character called Julian. So she is a social media influencer and she's sort of the queen bee of the school. And then there's um, her estranged half-sister, Zoya. Basically, um, they they have the same mum who actually passed away in childbirth and they have um, different dads who hate each other. And the plot thus far is that Zoya was living out of New York City and the girls basically connected online and then... Um, like masterminded this plan for Zoya to come to Constance Billard on a scholarship so that they could like be reunited um, and be a family. And basically, um, very early on, they kind of um, butt heads. She is a stranger who has found herself in your friend group with your boyfriend. I promised I would stay away from any drama. Did you miss me? I know I've missed you. They have a falling out over Obi, who is um, Julian's boyfriend. Basically, he is like this the richest of them, the guilty rich, they call him. So he's like this super rich kid who um, has like more leftist politics and 
feels like guilty about his wealth and sort of feels like it alienates him from people. So yeah, they have him talking about how he's um like picketed his real estate parents' development and does engage in um different like social justice stuff. But I do feel like the the show kind of presents him as like this like good rich kid character in a way that's like weirdly uncomplicated. Mm. And one constant source of tension throughout the first series, the original series, was who is Gossip Girl? It was eventually revealed to be Dan Humphreys, one of the main characters in the series. It's now become a bit of a meme that that fact makes absolutely no sense. There's (laughs) a lot of very funny video mashups on YouTube of all the scenes that clearly prove that there's no way that Dan could have been Gossip Girl. But... (laughs) This time around on the show, things are different. We actually know who Gossip Girl is straight away. It's this group of teachers at the school who are trying to rein in these rich kids. Mm -hmm. So tell me about that. Yeah. um, Yeah, I know it's a spoiler, but it's kind of not a spoiler because it's literally like, you know, put out there so quickly in the first episode. So I, I feel like the the teachers are kind of an interesting device here. So basically the the dynamic is that these teachers at the school are like quite underpaid and they're like overworked um they they wear chain store clothes like H&M and Zara and they're basically like very fed up by being bossed around by these kids and also by their parents which one of them should I get fired next what did you just say put that away it just looks like she's texting on parent teacher night that's even worse last time Alec Baldwin confiscated my phone I never got it back People like Nate were scared straight. How? Yeah, I'd try anything at this point. It was this thing that started freshman year, called itself Gossip Girl. Kind of like- I actually feel like this is quite an interesting dynamic and um, I feel like it, it feels believable, like something that teachers at, at a school like that where that maybe they come from a very different um, mm. social background to the kids that they're teaching that they maybe would have like this resentment. And um, I mean, I, I feel like it, it again, like, as it didn't make sense for Dan to be a gossip girl. I don't think it like logically makes sense for the teachers to be like, these kids are mean to us. So let's like stalk them and take photos of them (laughs) um, and put it on like this Instagram account. And like, that will make them be nice to us. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I feel like it, maybe like the setup kind of makes sense, but I don't feel like the behavior does make any sense. But for me, I think the the first gossip girl was like extremely chaotic and it is like ultimately quite soap opery so for me i i, I think it's quite an interesting like um, entry point and entertaining and, and it doesn't really bother me that it's like not super realistic we'll be back after this quick break Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Memento. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Okay, so Tara, we've sort of been dancing around the main question here, and I know maybe it's a little bit reductive, but is the new Gossip Girl actually good? Does it work? (laughs) I didn't hate it, um, but <laughs> I mean, I really wanted it to be, I wanted it to be good so badly. And um, 
yeah, I do feel like, you know, if you have nostalgia for the first one, I think it's worth watching it. Um, but yeah, I do feel like people sort of often dismiss like uh, the, the sort of soapy, like frothy TV shows as like all just being really trashy. But yeah, I do feel like there is a difference between like good trash and bad trash. And mm. um, it's kind of like, I think Dolly Parton, when she's like said, if it's very expensive to look this cheap. <laughs> I, I sort of feel like that's like the vibe of this show that it's like, you might think it would be easy to make this sort of like fun light show, but I actually don't think it is. And unfortunately, yeah, I don't really feel like this gossip girl is the good kind of trash mm. for me. It's really you mentioned the um the production values and the fact that HBO is making this one unlike the CW uh, in the first iteration and the money is very obvious like there's a much bigger cast some of the um set design and and production choices are quite magnificent like there's some set pieces that are just you know very well done but it all feels a little bit hollow I think like perhaps the most vicious thing you can say about a show like this is that it can't be boring and it kind of is boring. I don't mm-hmm. really care enough about any of the characters and the drama that they get themselves into is so low stakes. You think back to the first version of the show, all the characters were absurd, weird kind of caricatures, but they were like Blair Waldorf is a fascinating character. There's depth to her, you know? Mm-hmm. There's lots of layers to it. Whether you like her or don't like her, there's complexity there. And I think even Serena, the way that she enters that, you watch the pilot of Gossip Girl and you're like, this is actually a masterclass in how to make television, how to introduce <laughs> a range of characters. Are you laughing at me? But I, I mean it seriously. It's just, um, it's just really well done to introduce characters, introduce tension and set up plot lines and um, devices that will play out over six seasons and you kind of care about them. I just don't care about these guys. And when they get into drama, I'm bored by it. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. And I sort of feel like it seems like they don't even care about it. Um, (laughs) Like it seems like the characters in this show also like don't really care about the drama um, that they're they're participating in. And, yeah, I think that makes it hard for the audience to care, you know, between Julian and Zoya them kind of like tepidly fighting for this mantle of Queen Bee. I think they even explicitly say like when it sort of becomes clear that like there's romantic interest between um, Zoya and Obi, Julian's um, minions, who I actually really like them, Monet and Luna. One of them says like, you know, you've got to do something about this and like stop this from happening. And Julian's like, oh, no, I don't do hierarchies. Yeah, and it sort of feels like, well... Like, what is Gossip Girl without hierarchies? What is high school without hierarchies? Yeah, it's almost like they're trying to embody or express a kind of politics that is completely antithetical to the purpose of a show like this. Yeah, yeah. Do you think enough of it is? I think that's the other thing. I feel like the first iteration was at least slightly self-aware. Like, they knew that some of the things they were doing, some of the plot lines involving um, like people just being killed, um, was very like knowing in that people would sort of be into it but also laugh at it. I feel like there's a lack of self-awareness about the show and, and it almost would have been aided by being maybe more satirical or sharper. So rather than this projection of, you know, quote-unquote wokeness from its very privileged characters just being like something that we're supposed to believe they really care about and they're earnest about and we should reward them for it, instead making it more like, oh, okay, cool, so they're projecting this stuff. Obi says that he hates uh, rich people and gentrification, he stands with the workers, but 
isn't don't we all know that guy? Don't we all know rich white kids who pretend to be、mm. on the right side and aren't? And there's just no interrogation of that. Whereas to me, that is actually potentially quite a compelling show. Yeah, totally. I feel like the first one was it definitely glamorized wealth, but it also did present. Wealthy people in a way that was like kind of funny and sort of self-aware. Like, for example, so Carter Bates and the character that you mentioned played by Sebastian Stan before. So he is like this great character who is、um, a rich kid,、um, and then basically like early on, so in the original Gossip Girl, he rejects his trust fund, and you kind of、um, meet him、um, after he's come back from this big like backpacking journey around the world, and he's got very like Thai fisherman's pants and like crystal energy.、Mm. And I feel like this is a really funny kind of archetype of a rich kid, and even like you know Melbourne private school kids who like are obsessed with rainbow serpents or like you know <laughs> something like that. I, I feel like we all kind of know a Carter Basin. And look, I've probably been more cynical than you about the show. So, do you want to tell me a bit about some of the stuff that you thought was actually interesting and perhaps exciting about it? Yeah, for sure. So, so one、um, plot point that I really liked was so the character of Max. I'm not sure if I've mentioned him already, but、um, he's basically this pansexual party boy who's like always up for a good time,、um, very hedonistic, and he he has two gay dads and. One of them is is called Gideon, who's like this amazing character who I who I loved. So he's basically like this super camp man who wears these like really amazing high fashion like conceptual outfits, and I feel like he、um, sort of serves the purpose of like replacing some of the trophy wife characters. So somebody like Julie Cooper in the OC or.、Um, Lily Vanderwoodson in、um, the original Gossip Girl of these sort of glamorous trophy wife mums, and there's an interesting、um, narrative with he and his husband, who is more of a、um, traditionally masculine sort of gay guy. Basically, there's this tension in their relationship because over the course of their marriage, Gideon has、um, become like more femme and not necessarily like identity shift, but just like presenting himself as. More kind of feminine, like playing with femininity and sort of gender fluidity, and his husband、um, really doesn't like that. Oh, there's never an entrance he didn't make, or a corset he can cinch. Oh, this old McQueen. <laughs> your、uh, your hair is different. Serge gave me a blowout. You like? It's、um, it's voluminous. So yeah, I feel like the character of Gideon is an example of、um, the new Gossip Girl, like expanding the boundaries of like. Who is considered aspirational in this universe in a way that feels like exciting and feels like more what you would want a gossip girl to be doing in twenty twenty one. So I feel like what we're talking about really when it comes to gossip girl, what it is perhaps not landing, and what it needs to land to be a show about rich people in twenty twenty one, is to be more knowing, to be sharper. To to be a bit more self aware rather than trying to tick some boxes and satisfy the public that it's actually engaging with politics now when it really isn't.、Yeah. I mean, do you think that there's other stuff out there that is doing a better job of what Gossip Girl seems to be trying to do? Yeah, so I think the show Succession is a really interesting portrayal of rich people、um, in. Yeah, rich people today, basically, and I think they do a really good job of like showing these people who are in these very like beautiful and aspirational settings, and you know the show is also really high production values and very beautifully shot. 
But I don't think anybody like wants to be Kendall Roy. Um, I'm speaking for myself here, maybe you do. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't think like you want to be Kendall Roy or Shiv or, um, you know, these characters are basically like fools and Kendall Roy is like this kind of fail son character who is like desperately seeking his father's um, love and is basically just like pathetic um, and like embarrassing to his family and to everyone else. And then the character of Shiv is sort of also a really interesting like portrayal of a rich person. She's trying to like girl boss her way out of taking responsibility for like the horror of the machinery of, of her family and like the, the impact that they're having on the world. Yeah, so I feel like that's a, a good way of showing like wealthy people in a way that is like really funny and is kind of providing an interesting critique, but it doesn't feel like moralizing to me. I think if you compare that to this um, new Gossip Girl, it sort of feels like maybe they they're like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna showcase diversity, which is great. Um, we're going to like show liberal and progressive politics, um, but I do think it sort of comes off as like a bit condescending and clumsy. There's like a, a lack of like ambiguity, and maybe they think that we want to see these rich characters who are like self-aware and trying to be really good people but I think yeah we actually maybe want to see more of a commentary on like the these the hypocrisy of of these people who are like trying to present themselves with something that they're not or yeah I feel like we want a bit more of a, of a wink rather than like being knocked over the head with how progressive the show is. Tara that's a really fantastic way to end the conversation thank you so much for talking to me this week. Thanks so much for having me. That was really fun. Thanks for listening to the show. The Culture will be back in your feeds next week as usual. The Culture is a weekly show from Schwartz Media. It's produced by Bez Zodair and Atticus Basto. Our editor-in-chief is Eric Jensen and our theme music is by Hermitude. I'm Osman Faruqi. See you next week. Hold up. 